Welcome to Counseling 506, Integration to Psychology, Theology, and Spirituality in Counseling, and this introductory lecture of Principles to Integration in Christian Counseling. Now for many of you taking this course, a fundamental question may be, why bother at all with integrating psychology with Christian faith when we counsel people? This isn't a new question, and in many ways across the centuries, Christians have led the way in what is now considered the science and professional practice of counseling, which is deeply rooted in Christian decisions of soul care and spiritual formation. And yet the discipline of psychology provides so many useful tools to help those who are hurting and to help heal the mind and the spirit of the whole person. Let's begin to explore why integration of psychology and Christian counseling is such an important topic. Is integration necessary or even possible? Going all the way back to the second century, this debate has raged since Tertullian, an early church father, said this about bringing worldly wisdom into the church. What indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? What concord is there between the academy and the church? With our faith, we desire no further belief. Well, it's pretty obvious what Tertullian was trying to say. He had discovered the power of the gospel to change lives. He knew that in Christ, people could become new creations. And he also knew that for all the wisdom of the world, it still had its limitations. But he's not alone in his suspicion of integration. From the other side of the aisle, scientists beginning in the 17th century did their work with great suspicion of religion and work of the church. J.W. Draper summarized much of this when he wrote, The history of science is a narrative of the conflict of two contending powers with the expansive force of the human intellect on one side and traditional faith on the other. Much of science is rooted in a naturalistic philosophy which believes that only things that can be observed and measured can be trusted. But this philosophy also had clashes within the church. For example, in 1610, Galileo dared to propose that the universe does not revolve around the earth, but instead revolves around the sun. When he began publicly supporting the heliocentric view, he encountered strong opposition from some philosophers and clerics and was reported to the Inquisition in 1615. He was eventually cleared of any offense at that time, but the Catholic Church condemned this theory as being false and contrary to Scripture, and Galileo was warned to abandon his support for it, which he promised to do. When he later defended his views in his most famous work, The Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, published in 1632, he was again tried by the Inquisition, found suspected of heresy, forced to recant, and spent the rest of his life under house arrest. From then on, and because of other instances, scientists have seen the church as an enemy of science and progress. But does it really have to be this way? Can those in the church who see psychology as a competitor for the core values and for the worldview of people come to trust that God might actually use psychology for his purposes. 
At the same time, can those who are trained in secular schools of psychology come to believe that spirituality is a necessary and important part of the life of every person, and that in fact the historic wisdom of the church brings much to the table in promoting healing? Let's see what kind of foundation we can lay out for integration. There are at least seven earmarks of integrated counseling that provide us with some signposts along the way to help us move past the warfare between the competing worldviews of Christianity that excludes science and science that excludes Christianity. When we think of integrated counseling, the first earmark to take notice of is all truth is God's truth. Doctors John Carter and Bruce Naramore first coined this term in their groundbreaking work on integration in 1979, and it's listed in the bibliography section of the syllabus. It means that they are pointing to a biblical concept, since Jesus claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll look throughout this course at a grid that Carter and Naramore developed, which points to the source of conflict between a Christian worldview and theological propositions, and the scientific worldview and psychological propositions. Their basic construct is this. If we are dealing with any truth, we're dealing with God's truth. That is what we'll see in integration. Because we're not trying to say that theological interpretation over a psychological theory is better, but to discover how God is revealing the truth in all of these things. A second important earmark of integrated counseling is being intentional about bridge building and unity for the sake of the clients we serve. There are many times, whether it is in the counseling room, in the church, or in our professional relationships with others, that we fail to build bridges or find unity. It is not so much the fact that the bridge cannot be built, but in our unwillingness to build that bridge. In this course, we will be intentional about finding the connecting points of truth and transformational power through theological propositions, through spiritual formation, and through godly views of psychological principles. Another earmark and goal of this course is the holistic healing of clients. Integrated counseling is dedicated to the proposition that people are an indivisible whole. This means that when a person is suffering with emotional problems, it affects the physical body and the spirit, and it affects how they relate to the world. Later on, we'll introduce McMinn's Metamorph Grid, which is a nine-point integrated counseling framework intended to provide you a tool while looking at the whole person when counseling. With integrated counseling, we are concerned not only with the measurable and physical needs of a person, but with their spiritual needs as well, focusing on those areas that boost their spiritual formation from the standpoint of the Bible. Now here's the good news. Integrated counseling 
is dedicated to a redemptive worldview. Christian counselors believe that every person we encounter is a person subject to the redemption of God, a person for whom Christ has died, and someone for whom we are called to lay down our lives as Christian ministers. This good news carries us beyond simply dealing with the symptoms of clients, and although we certainly do want to relieve their suffering, it moves us beyond the initial goals that the client may have. As they grow, and as their suffering is reduced, we want to help empower them to set and achieve new goals for their lives. A redemptive worldview allows us to have an eternal view of a client and to help them seek the vital relationship found through Jesus Christ. Integrated counseling also demands that each of us involved in counseling have an extra measure of self-awareness and humility. If you stop to think for a few minutes about the complexity of integrated counseling, it really can be a daunting prospect. Who can be an expert in psychology, in theology, and in spiritual formation since we're all limited? We all must admit that when healing takes place, it is by the power of God through the Holy Spirit and that we need others as a part of the process to some degree. What do you think about what Warren Bittes wrote? None of us is as smart as all of us. If that is true, we really do need those who are experts in psychology to help those who are trained in theology. And we need those who are experts in theology and spiritual formation to help those who are trained in secular psychology. As counselors, we need to be aware of our training and shortcomings because there's a vital dynamic in seeking collaboration with others. Multitasking is a term that is used constantly in the postmodern world. While we are talking on the phone, we may find ourselves checking out our email. Or while we're reading, we might sneak a peek to see what's on television. And who has not seen a mother being able to cook dinner while holding her baby and talking on the phone at the same time? We are multitaskers more and more in this society, and this principle applies to integrative counseling. As we are seeking to understand the needs of a client and to help individuals in a given area of healing, we must remain aware of the other dimensions of their lives. If we're dealing with a psychologically enabled need, it is also important that we understand the spiritual needs under the theological context of God's view of that person and their future. The seventh earmark has to do with the nature of integration as an intrapersonal dynamic. Integration is not simply the skills that we learn to use in the counseling room, but a way of becoming the sort of person who can be an effective Christian minister and the representation of Christ to those we are counseling. A great deal of research has been conducted over the last several decades that point to the power of non-specific factors in inducing change. This means 
there are a set of factors which every client brings into counseling which is more than just the quality of counseling but is directed at the personhood of the counselor especially in the case of Christian counselors. Some clients who have been interviewed in past research studies have indicated that they chose a Christian counselor because of their belief in the personhood of the counselor. They considered that a Christian counselor would be a moral individual, that a Christian counselor would show greater care and compassion for them, and that the counselor's motives would be focused on their healing and not simply trying to earn a fee. These former clients were saying that they went to a Christian counselor because they saw an intrapersonal integration that was an important part of who the counselor really was. Put simply, to be an effective integrated counselor requires us to live a certain way that is an, is an example to others. Well, we've looked at some ideas about why bothering with integration, some of the historical areas of integration, and then finished up with seven earmarks about integration. We'll continue this discussion of integrated counseling and principles that are key to understanding the integrative process in the next lecture.